0: Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If you think that you are wise in this age, you should become fools, so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is the foolishness with God. For it is written... He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast about human leaders, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to be to God.
1: Thanks Ellen for reading that. One of the uh, the most wonderful sounds that we hear in our parsonage is when our kids, Matthew and Elizabeth, have their friends over and the sound is usually, um, well depending on the friend group, ping-pong downstairs with lots of laughter and lots of music. Uh, but then around Halloween, there is the sound of teenagers gathering in our TV room and watching horror movies and screaming at the top of their lungs and then laughing. And I've learned a, a term that uh, Elizabeth use, uses sometimes. It's called a, a jump scare. That They're watching some scary movie and it's so scary that they all jump and then they laugh. I don't know about you, I don't like watching horror movies. I have enough fears of my own. I don't need to. But, but they go into this knowing that they're going to be scared and knowing that they're going to end up screaming at some scene. It's different when you go into watch a movie and you know you're going to be scared. It's when it's not watching the movie or it's when in real life something happens and it scares us. I read recently that the, uh, let me make sure I got this organization right, the American Psychiatric Association has done a study last year uh, on the amount of anxiety in our world in the US year over year. Last year they discovered that there was 40% more people who identified uh, as being anxious than the year before. And I have heard from therapists, friends of mine, that so many people are seeking therapy these days because there's this overlaying cloud of anxiety that is in our society, that is in our um, communities. And people are having a hard time processing what that anxiety is bringing up. It affects our relationships, it affects our families, it affects our churches, it affects our body politic, it affects everything. And sometimes it's helpful to just know oh, this is out there, this is the air we're breathing, and we need to be cognizant of that so that we are not um, manipulated by the fears and anxiety that is out there. Because when It does its work, and we don't know what's happening. It doesn't bring out the best in us. And it makes us a little bit more tribal and a little bit more closed off from one another. And if left unchecked, we become isolated. And loneliness begins to rise because we have shut other people out. And and we have shut sometimes whole groups out. Political groups that are not our own. Racial groups that are not our own. Economic groups that are not our own. Age groups that are not our own. And we, our world shrinks. And we become so tribal that very few people are allowed into our space. The church in Corinth was dealing with that kind of fear and tribalism. The tribe names Peter's tribe, Apollos' tribe, Paul's tribe, and they would agree with one another and talk in their silos because they agreed with one another, but they would stop engaging with people outside of their silos. And Paul says to them, don't you know you are God's temple? God's spirit is within you. Oh, I'm sensing led to do something. Just indulge me. Would you just face the other side of the congregation? People on this side look at this side. This, Yeah, look across the aisle. And you can smile at each other if you see someone you know. You can even wave to each other. Oh, this is good. Would you just look at somebody and say, You are God's temple. Would you say, The Spirit of God is within you. Now look at somebody else and say, the Spirit of God is within you. The Spirit of God is you. Ah, yes. Yes. That may contribute to getting us out of our silos and recognizing that the Spirit of God dwells in each person. Walter Brueggemann, one of the great scholars of the Hebrew Scriptures, said, look at the flow of the Hebrew Scriptures, how it moves us from our chosenness. That's where we start. That's a good place to start. The people of Israel knew they were chosen. They were called by God. They were special. And that allowed them to, to grow up. It allowed them to mature to a certain level, knowing that they were beloved of God. But then God sent the prophets And the prophets said to the chosen people, yes, you're the chosen, yes, you're the beloved, yes, you are special, but so are they. So are the people who are outside of the fold. So are the people who are often neglected. The widows, the orphans, the people who are not at the top rung of the ladder. And the prophets critiqued the people of Israel and the rulers of Israel, and the kings of Israel, and said, yes, you're special, but you're not all that. And you can be more. After the prophets, which followed the law and the message of chosenness, then we read in the Hebrew Scriptures the wisdom texts, such as the Psalms such as Ecclesiastes, where we can hold things in tension, where wisdom is more accessible. Walter Brueggemann says, until we go through the first stage of knowing we are chosen, knowing we are beloved, and being able to be self-critical, we can't get to wisdom. I sense God is longing for people of all faith traditions to embrace the wisdom that is in each of our faith traditions, but we can't get there until we allow ourselves to be critiqued, until we allow ourselves to realize, yes, we are special, and we still have work to do. When we can hold those things in tension, then we're open to wisdom. So how do we get there? Walter Brueggemann was asked recently, last year, what is the most important thing for Christians to embrace for such a time as this? And he said Christians need to somehow figure out how to be non-anxious in the midst of great anxiety. How can we be a non-anxious presence in the midst of great anxiety? One of the ways that we Christians and perhaps people of other faith traditions know as well is that through prayer, sometimes the Spirit of God who is within us can move us to a place where we are not as anxious. And when we are not anxious, God can flow through us and we can be more able to be vessels of reconciliation, vessels of peace, vessels of justice, vessels of compassion in a hurting and anxious world. I want to lift up a scripture that is not in the lectionary today, but as we are beginning to look at our Lenten life together, our Lenten disciplines, I lift up Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. And there are whole schools of prayer written about this verse. Jesus says, go into your room and close the door and seek your Father in secret. And your Father, who sees you in secret, will reward you. Now, biblical archaeologists will tell you that in most homes written, uh, built at the time when Jesus lived, had one room, one room for the whole family, one room for sleeping, the same room for eating, the same room for sitting together, the same room for welcoming guests. There was no separate room that Jesus was talking about. The room was within us. The room was the temple within us where God dwells. The indwelling presence is what many call this. And Jesus was saying, go into that space within you and close the door." And don't listen to anybody else, but be aware of God's presence within you. I think there's a Sunday school class today talking about contemplative prayer. The psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. In verse 46, uh, chapter 46, verse 10 of the Psalms. So Jesus says, go into that room and seek God in secret. And the God who sees you in secret will reward you. Now that, I have found, is a lot easier to do with groups of people who seek silence together. It is very hard to do in our own homes or in our offices when there's all sorts of demands on our list of things to do. And we get into that silent space and part of me at least thinks, oh, I've got so many things I should be doing right now. Hmm? So I have sought the help of an app, a contemplative prayer app. It's a free app. It's from Contemplative Outreach, if you want to look it up. And I set a timer. People much smarter than I in the contemplative life say that it takes about 12 minutes for the mind to stop racing. And the most fruitful minute is the 13th minute. So when I'm in a rush, I set it for 13 minutes. And I put the phone down because I know that it will chime after 13 minutes and I don't need to keep checking the time to see. Surely the time is up, isn't it? And I allow the space to just be. I allow God to do something within me that I have no idea about and will never fully understand. But what I'm learning is that it is in that time that healing happens. In the school of centering prayer, they call this the divine therapy. The divine therapy. Where God, the indwelling God, heals the wounds of a lifetime. If we continue to avail ourselves to the indwelling presence of God. And when our minds wander to not kick ourselves, but to just keep bringing ourselves back to that inner room that Jesus invites us into. And so this Lent, which begins at our final prayer on Tuesday evening, we're having a pancake supper, a Rise fundraiser, pancake races in Rada Hall. I hope you'll all come. It's a wonderful opportunity to have a meal together people of all ages. And then we'll have an opportunity to write on the palm branches from last year's Palm Sunday something we want to let go of. Something that is a burden to us. And we'll take those outside and we'll put them in a can and we'll burn them as we stand around the the fire and sing some songs of faith and let those things we want to let go of Go up to God in prayer. And from those ashes, we will use those ashes the next day on Ash Wednesday. But Lent begins at that fire outside of Rada Hall. When we say the final prayer on Shrove Tuesday. And I invite us to pray about how we want to recognize Lent. How we want to practice a holy Lent this year. I invite you to think about a place in your home where you can pray on a regular basis at a regular time. The Russian Orthodox call this a Pustinia, a place of prayer where they know whenever they go and sit there, either there's a candle there or an icon or a cross or a Bible or a devotional reading, That place is dedicated to our relationship with the divine. For however many minutes you wish, let's find a place in our homes that might be that sacred room where we spend time with God. And through the season of Lent, we pray that God might just mold us and shape us and transform us to be less anxious about the world we see so that we can engage that anxious world from a place of compassion, a place of peace, a place of trust. May God bless each of us as we begin this Holy journey through Lent. Amen.